Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, We're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. Maybe be thankful for what Jesus is doing. Before I share, before we give a little update on things that are going on in the transition towards the building, um, I want to make mention of something actually uh, he was sitting right here. Jordan Bishop brought up in the in our prayer time this morning, but he we prayed and we were asking if the Lord was, was anything specifically on the Lord's heart. And Jordan shared he felt the Lord saying that that now is the day that today is the day of salvation. And this week we've had the opportunity to see people encounter the truth of God's saving grace. Uh, but, but I believe also this is a time for a, for an awareness of a fuller salvation over our lives. Um, last week I shared on the call of within holiness, the call to not let sin reign in our lives. And I believe that there is a moment um, there's always grace, but there's a particular moment of grace where I just see, I see the fruit of it. I've had enough conversations with people that God is drawing people in from darkness into light, mm-hmm. out of impurity into purity. And I want to encourage you that there are two things the Lord specifically highlighted to me. And um, one of them was, was uh, uh, sexual sin which is like often thing that we're, you deal with in, in community. It's just part of human nature. That, And I feel like God is delivering people out of sexual sin. And if you, if you find yourself bound by sexual sin, God wants to deliver you. That comes. Um, and then the second thing, sexual sin is sin against the, it's your own body. And it's not just your spirit that is the temple. It is your body that's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, that's the first thing. The second thing I believe is that God is wanting to... It, we actually don't have, in, in comparison, we don't have... Uh, one of the things people comment on is relatively little gossip in this community. But I felt specifically the Lord told me to bring up gossip. Because if you think about it this way, if, if sexual sin is sin against your own body... Gossip is like sin against his body. And I feel like the Lord is saying to us, don't engage in gossip. And if you feel like somebody's engaging gossip to you, don't don't tolerate it. One of the most, one of the things, the reasons that, that sin persists, gossip particularly, is because we, we are often afraid to go have the conversations with courage with people that God is calling us to have. And so we harbor these, this 
this unrighteous judgment in our hearts towards others rather than going in love and working out together what it means to walk in the salvation of the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you right now, I feel a great fear of the Lord over these two issues, and I believe that God wants to deliver people. I want to give you the final sort of thought, and then I'm going to move on to this week's. Last week I talked to James, and James says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. I believe that very wholeheartedly, that that I've, I've done both. I've wept before the Lord and asked God to forgive me and not confess my sins and found no victory. Um, but confessing my sin to my brother, I did, I did find freedom. And I, I want to add one aspect to this that I think is key, is that a life of radical confession and radical truthfulness means I live in confession and transparency in an ongoing way. I'm not waiting for somebody to ask me a good enough question or provoke me emotionally enough in a time of community to admit things, but I actually pursue this in a way of radical love. And so I just want to encourage you, I, I, have, I can testify to the fact that I've, I've gone from not freedom to freedom in pursuing radical confession to the point that, like for me, any time temptation or sin presented itself, it just every single time I'm going to run in advance to admit where the enemy is trying to work, where my own flesh is trying to work. And I believe we have, I believe we want freedom. There, the, that's the invitation that James gives us is to confess and to pursue it. Is everybody cool with that? I think there's a continued grace. If you know there are issues of impurity in your life. There's no reason to be ashamed. Shame is the thing that holds you in, and grace is the thing that invites you into community. All right, everybody cool with that? Yeah. Um, there's the call. And, and I just, I may keep bringing this up on occasion, regularly. <laughs> um, about this time of year, um, the colors began changing, and it gets my attention. And I want to make a side point about attention. Is that attention is one of the greatest resources that you can give God to work in your life. When your attention is available to see what God is highlighting to you, you will hear and see him. But a lot of times, we lose the battle at the, at the realm of attention. And so I just want to encourage you to free, let the Lord free your attention. And for me, I, uh, I sit outside a lot. I walk. I ride my bike. I'm outside more than most Texans, I think, especially the last few years. And so um, I experience, I, the last few years, I feel like I've experienced the changing of the seasons more viscerally. And it's an interesting thing that I've made note of in sermons occasionally and conversations, but that we have this, we have this life um, that's enabled by our techno the technology in our culture 
the economic infrastructure that we live with to be very disengaged with the seasons and the changing seasons. I mean, sure, we have pumpkin spice lattes and we have fall decor and I, um, but I don't think that those things fully engage our senses with how truly dependent we are on the process of nature and God's created reality. It was much easier for Jesus in his time to say, look at the birds of the air. They don't gather or sow, but they're fed to a people who mostly did their own gathering and sowing. You might have like a jacket that you walk from your car to the coffee shop or to your office. But I, and there might even be some people in here who work outside, but most of us get to at some point go to a place where there's either air conditioning or heat. Praise God for it. In the summer, you might put on some shorts. But I just want to make note of this, that most of us live lives that are mostly unmoved by changing of seasons. One of my favorite pictures to give, but I've, I've shared this before, is a tomato. If I go into Tom Thumb today, I will likely find a tomato. I will likely find many tomatoes. Doesn't matter whether tomatoes are in season. Doesn't matter whether they're close to this region. Turns out East Texas sand's actually pretty good for tomatoes. But we live in a world and in a way of life that allows us to not viscerally encounter the reality of seasons. And I believe that the, the realities of nature are like they're, they are guideposts to the order of the ways of God and the way that he works. In, in Jeremiah 31, it talks about, as he's this beautiful passage of God's rebuke, but then his just incredible love for Israel, it talks about how he has appointed the light of the sun to govern the day and the light of the moon and the stars for the night. And he is the one who stirs the waves and um, if these things pass away, his love for his children will pass away. The hint is they're not going to pass away until he has the final word. Um, so I just want to make note to you that God has given us rhythms and patterns and seasons and their shadows and statements of his reality and the way he works. And so recently, I've been encountering these, the physical changing of the seasons. And so I was watching the leaves fall to the ground as I was sitting alone at home. And the changing season just, I decided I would write a poem, the first short poem I've written in a while. And it's called Looking at Leaves. So you can humor me this poem. Leaves decorate my yard with faded yellow on soaked ground, as something living gives away 
its last expression of life. That dimming hue colors my life with a persistent song every year. Every year I'm reminded at exactly this time, the bleed of autumn prepares me for the quiet dark of winter. But colors don't last because colors don't last, but they return in time. And in time we see God's work. Hold that thought. Some years ago, I was obsessed with this idea of sustainability in my life. That I could figure out like rhythms or patterns, of ways of living, ways of waking up, ways of going to sleep, ways of being a parent, being a person working in my business that would just, that I would sustain. And I prayed and I read and I considered great alterations to my life to figure out how do I live a sustainable way and especially it was a time where the Lord was dealing with my own selfish ambition especially in relationship to ministry and I just I had this desire um, to, to be just to do things in a sustaining way and it's like that God was uh, speaking to me about the soil of my life and how it would bear fruit. Yet the problem was that life would continue to change in ways and in movements that any alterations I would make would suddenly be like, well, that doesn't work anymore. How many of you felt that? You finally get something nailed and life changes. And finally, I felt the Lord tell me something very simple. Jordan, no season is sustainable. Yeah, that's good. That's what a season is. It's a period of time. And every year, seasons come and go. And God is always inviting us to what? To have attention on what he is doing now. So I want to draw you to something that I find interesting. I mentioned it in our first week of Holy briefly. But the word Kadesh or Kadosh, sorry, sorry, Kadosh is the Hebrew word for holy. And the first time that it's found in scripture is in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, 3, it says, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So after God completes his work, he rests on the seventh day, and he, he calls this particular pattern holy that he will repeat across many different elements of, his, of the life of Israel. For, for example, in the Ten Commandments, they are called to keep the Sabbath for his what? It is holy. They're called to make it holy. In their guidelines for farming, they're also called to rest on the seventh year. And he even asked them to retire debts on the seventh year. And all of these things, especially the issue of rest, serve as a sort of um, reminder and an act of worshiping and trusting in God's provision. Now we have the, 
common, maybe they knew too, but we have the modern luxury of science to know that the way that they actually let the land rest was the appropriate amount of time to replenish like nitrogen in the soil. And in our modern economy, we have been able to get around this reality actually with fertilizer and other synthetic chemicals, um, which have allowed us to have more controlled production and increased production. But I want to make mention that there have been incredible consequences yeah. to those things. My farmer knows. <laughs> Christians, especially in the South, are not often thought of as being sensitive to the stewardship of ecology or environment. I care about those things a little bit. I'm not going to preach an 80-minute sermon on, on that right now. But I believe, according to Genesis, we need to be those who care for the way things are sustained. So I just want to give you as a picture for your own life. The way that this has actually played out is that as we've used fertilizer in soils, it actually has, there's been soil erosion and nitrogen flows into the river. In the U.S., there's farming predominantly up in the plains and up north, and as this nitrogen flows into the soil, it goes to the Mississippi, and we have created the, these things called ocean dead zones. And ocean dead zones is this thing where algae, as the nitrogen from the fertilizer comes, yeah. it causes an explosion of algae growth, which sucks all the oxygen out of the water, and it causes these shadow spots, and it expands dead zones. So at the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico, there is a dead zone where there's virtually no life in the ocean that is 4,500 square miles big. It's, it's when we don't trust like God's processes, there are consequences. Yeah. Like, this is a, it's an interesting thing though that in the rise of the Soviet Union, they had, they used a ton of synthetic chemicals and nitrogen. And, and so it created like the largest dead zone ever in the Black Sea. And as the Soviet Union was collapsing, um, it caused economic distress. People could not get a hold of fertilizer, the price of those things. And literally, over just like five to ten years, the, enti the entire ecosystem and life of the Black Sea just automatically replenished. Mm -hmm. Because there is a reality uh, that God has created. And God has ordered reality to function with seasons and times and patterns. And the sequence of time that God gave that he first made holy was a day of rest. But man in his rebellion constantly finds ways outside of the rest of God, which lead us towards our provision and away from his eternal provision. Now, I want to talk to you a bit about Sabbath, but if I were to do, we're talking about holiness, if I were to do a sub-series within the series, so a series series, inception. <laughs> an inception of series is, I would, my inception of series would be holy time. Um, I have a, I've told you guys before that I have a, I have an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who is my uh, sort of investing business mentor. And, one, and so we go through these talks, and one time he told me, 
Uh, I was looking at a business deal and he was telling me why, even though there was no risk in that deal, it was a bad deal for me because it was gonna consume a lot of my time. And he said, Jordan, you're a very, you're a good productive member of society and the last thing I want is for you to be you know, distraught and beating your head up against the wall and feel like a failure. And he said, so I don't think you should do this because it will be a waste of your time, not your money. And, and then he's when he kind of did his thing of like, you know, according to Toro. And we, but as eventually we got to the point where he said, I really believe, or he believed, that time was the only thing we steward. And I don't know that that's necessarily true, but, but the way that he was explaining it, I understood. So not saying it's true, but I want to make note of it, that time is... It's a, it's a huge thing that we steward in life. And think about it like this. this is, as I was pondering on this, almost all businesses are made on either optimizing the use of time or occupying the use of our time. Like the wheel in the ancient world was able to get people more fat, more quickly to places of commerce. The printing of press allowed us a more efficient process for, for, for uh, modeling and distributing information. The tractor allowed for people to care for a larger portion of land in a more efficient time use of time. If you look at our businesses that are in the modern world, our modern entertainment is something that, that gives us what we can do with the time because we've created all this excess of time. Mm -hmm. Business or the production of capital at some point in the chain of value, it either optimizes our time or it occupies our time. I was speaking this week with some, I know we're kind of all over the map this morning, but just go with me. I was speaking this week with some investors who are really, really tied in in the artificial intelligence world. They invest in, they've invested in companies for two decades in AI. And so I was, I was just talking with them about, you know, I'm a pastor, kind of work in the tech world, but like just sharing some of my views. And so I was trying to learn from them, what are ways in which human behavior will be altered because of the presence of AI? And so one of the things they said was, how many of you played with ChatGPT at least once? Well, a, a, a pretty good number of people. And one of the things that he talked about, this is a very reasonable near-term thing that will affect human behavior, is that in the business world, like he was like, most likely, you know, I think we'll see if I have 500 emails come through, come through to my email inbox, it will respond to all of those on my behalf, except for say 20, and it will say, okay, focus on these 20 because they are worth more your meaningful time. And so you can imagine that there will be this, this uh, future of a world where all these people are talking to each other and AI is doing it on their behalf. And there's like a small little sliver of things that we're actually doing. I say all this to say that as a culture, we are obsessed with how we optimize our time and how we occupy our time. Mm -hmm. We're obsessed with it. Fathers and mothers feel this pressure. How many of you have felt this pressure? Do I have my kids in enough sports and activities? Mm 
do I have my kids in too many sports and activities? Right? We feel this way in our careers. Are we working hard enough or are we working too hard? I would say that people are constantly assessing, managing, mastering, and grieving the passage of time. No matter how good you get at stewarding your time, you can wake up every day, pray, read the scripture, do your elliptical you know, whatever thing you're doing, be at work at five minutes early, work 95% of the day, go home, greet your kids with loving hug, you know, read to all of them, like tuck everyone in bed, like you could, you could do everything perfectly and still you cannot control time. You cannot control it. I'm trying to get you to see how big time is in sort of like how we think about life. And, but you think about it this way. The very first thing that God called holy was a segment of time. It was a day. It was rest. And I want to encourage you to do something that I believe will transform your life. Make time to rest. Let God talk to you about this. Like, I know what Colossians says. Colossians says, do not let anyone judge you based on what you eat or drink or based on festivals or based on the Sabbath. Um, but I can assure you that Paul is not telling the Christians don't rest just as much as he's telling them he's not telling them to go out and get drunk because it doesn't matter. God wants you to rest. I want to read to you from Hebrews 4, verse 1 and 8 to 11. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rest from all their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, is this rest something that we receive after this life or in this life? I think it's probably a bit of both. But I want you to see that God's promise for your life is a place of rest, a time of rest. For me, in my rest, I would say it's probably the spiritual discipline that has, I've most, um, in the last seven or eight years of my life, I have most um, held to religiously, and I, it's transformed my life. And... I, I like what Eugene Peterson says. He says, I need that, that Christians need negative space. We need a time where we're not optimizing or occupying our time. Like you don't even need to be trying to figure out how to be a better mother, a better 
father, a better husband, or a better worker. Like, you don't rest for work. You rest for God and for love and for his world working in you. Like, some of the greatest things that God has talked to me about, I wasn't trying to get him to talk to me about anything. I'm just sitting with the Lord, just being here as a human with him. And it is the easiest thing for us to overlook in our culture and society is the command and the call and the promise to rest. Amen? Just let that motorcycle go by. After next week, we enter into the Advent season. And I have this cool thing. If you haven't bought one of these with us one year, it's called Waiting on the Word. This is an Advent devotional. It's a poem a day from our good friend, Malcolm. He's not my good friend. He's just a great poet and uh, <laughs> Anglican priest, um, Malcolm Guy. I describe Malcolm Guy as some kind of mixture between Santa Claus and, and C.S. Lewis. Like he looks like Santa Claus, literally. But he's a, but he, I want to encourage you to grab one of these. If you want one, you can let us know. Uh, it just has some modern, some old poems. But the cool thing about Advent is during this time of the year, we preach on what we feel like the Lord is leading us to preach on. Um, and we do the same. We still are listening to the Spirit. But during Advent, we preach out of the lectionary that comes from the Book of Common Prayer. And the reason we do that every year is that we invite people towards the same story of Jesus' incarnation. And it allows us to tell the story but the tone of Advent, like Advent is about a people expectantly awaiting the promises of God in the in-between. It's actually a hopeful tone, but like, I feel like the last few months, the last couple months, I feel like I've been like preaching and I'm so grateful for the directness of God. But we are shifting now into a season of like the subtlety of how the Lord speaks. And... I, uh, how many of you are in between something that you're expectantly waiting? Like you're, you're waiting for God to break through. Most all of us live in that space. And Advent speaks to that story. Um, and so I want to encourage you, although it doesn't start next week, I want to encourage you as we move to this, that space that you allow the Lord to draw you into a time of reflection. Um, and specifically... I want to believe that God will allow this people to enter into the promise of rest. And I'll tell you, I don't think that you get rest in your soul unless you make rest physically in your life. And so I want to encourage you, how many of you do some kind of Sabbath? Like you practice Sabbath. You take a time off. One two, three, four, five, six, a number of us here. Here's what I want to encourage you. I believe everyone should, should practice some kind of Sabbath. If you can't do a whole day, make it six hours. If you can't do six hours, 
make it a few hours and like set aside space for God to speak to you. Set aside like negative space. And I'm going to speak now specifically. How many of you are trying to solve your life right now? How many of you like you've got like like the gears just don't all line up like the finances, the, the scheduling, the, the whatever, like you feel unrest. Raise your hand. It's normally mostly everybody. But here's my encouragement to you. Have you ever watched anybody try to fix a golf swing? Like I've been golfing with people and like one person will give me a tip. And then like everybody is like, all right, move your feet, lift your head back, do your, stick your you know, butt out, like do all this. And you're trying to think of like 72 things to fix this golf swing and you can't do any of them. If you will do one thing, instead of trying to sort out the time of your life, if you will do the one thing that God said in the very beginning, practice the Sabbath and make it holy, the other things will come easier. If you will let God enter your rest, he will work with you in your activity. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to take it back to the original, like we started the series talking about holy and the three like categories the Old Testament has, which are or four really. There is holy and then common and then clean and unclean. So there are things that are common, like a bowl that is used in a house for people to eat. It's common. It's not necessarily unclean. It's just common. And then there is the bowl that's used in the house of the Lord. That's what? It's holy. And so there are some things, there are some ways of life that aren't unclean, but they're not holy. And I want to tell you that I have done rest in a holy way, I have done rest in a common way, and I've even done rest in an unclean way. And sometimes when people get really tired, it's when they turn to the hidden, uh, sinful, persisting addictions or things that have them. When they get tired, they turn to these things. I've, I've done that. When I'm exhausted, when I'm not allowing the rest of God to enter my life, I turn to something unclean. Sometimes I've done rest in a common way where I just like watch YouTube for 45 minutes. Nothing bad, just watching people's necks get adjusted by chiropractors. <laughs> I don't know why it's interesting. It's just interesting. <laughs> Maybe five minutes would be fine. Self-care. Go to the spa, get a massage. Not saying it can't be holy, but it's harder. When I'm doing rest best, I'm not reading 82 chapters of the Bible. I'm not praying down heaven over my I'm just sitting sitting in my backyard drinking coffee pray, I read I wait, I sit I'm with the Lord 
and I, I don't know. I felt like I was supposed to encourage some people that if you're trying to solve your life, start with the rest that God called holy and make it holy. Amen? Um, okay. Before I move on, I want to have you just close your eyes for a minute. And I want to ask, I want you to just ask God about rest. I want you to let the Lord speak to you about rest in your life. Lord, I pray that you would release waves of your rest that will allow us to bear few fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold in our lives. Let your grace and mercy come on people to live within the work and rest that you called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. It's another sermon, but I do believe that we bear fruit, we bear fruit in the kingdom when we are appropriately aligned with the labor that he's called us to and the rest that he's called us to. Both were called to. If you bought a lie that the kingdom has no labor, no work, you have bought a lie. If you bought a lie that it doesn't involve rest, you have bought a lie. So, okay, sweet. Um, I want to uh, share some things over the next couple months. I want to give you an update on, on kind of some transition stuff that's happening with the, with the building. Um, I want to pray just over the continued ministry there in the, uh, the apartments. And I also want to pray over continued favor in the building process. We have final plans that are getting submitted. Um, when we presented the renovation budget to the church like a few months ago, we presented a, mil a million dollar renovation budget. We're going to come in way under that because of a lot of little things that, the, that God has worked out with the city. So we're so far at least 150000 under that, which is a significant, you know. Um, but every, I can't even tell you, like, every little thing is just, like, perfect. Is like, oh, thank God, you're working on our behalf. So I want to pray, first of all, for the Vera Cedar uh apartment ministry, we had just really massive breakthrough on that in the last few weeks in the way that God is engaging yeah. people. And then and then I want to pray um, over the revisions with the city for, for our plans, because we do not want any obstacles with that. I do not want to have to go talk to the city about anything. <laughs> so I would like to invite you to just extend your hands this direction. We're going to pray over this uh, apartment and the main people that God has opened doors with have been uh, Central and South American immigrants and uh, we're just going to pray that God would show us how to share his love with them and, and to serve them and so let's just pray together Lord we bless these apartments we bless the people there God 
We bless the people who have journeyed, who are those like the Advent story who are expectantly waiting your breakthrough, God. And we pray that the saving grace of Jesus would come, Lord, and that the love and provision and the work and all the things that are needed to make life possible, I pray that those would come, Lord. I pray that you would give our team great favor to walk in the dark places and to walk in the high places to be able to uh, advocate on people's behalf, God. And we ask, Lord Jesus, for many, many, many people coming to know your name. We ask for many, many, many people coming into the family of God, that people who have been on long and hard journeys would find rest. They would find an oasis in the midst of the wilderness, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you that heavenly resources will pour out for the least of these, God. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Will you come pray over the building process? Just leave people. We're going we're gonna to also just pray over that process. Yeah. Well, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, go before us, that you would help us to have wisdom in seeing everything that needs to be seen before it needs to be seen. Um, God, we don't want to do any backtracking. We don't want to do problem solving after the fact. So give us wisdom, God. We just pray that you would keep uh, providing uh, cost-effective ways for us to do things. We've already found several cost-effective ways to, um, for, to find materials or things like that, God, that you've just provided. We pray that you would keep supernaturally making a way um, for us to do things more efficiently and more cost-effective. And God, as this building goes up, we just pray that it would be a monument to your glory. It would be a monument to what your family looks like. God, that when people um, that pass by the building, when they see it, when they look in the windows, when they uh, see this space that you're creating, God, I pray that it would, um, I pray that it would be evident that it's a, it's a house for your presence. Yes, God, I know that, you know, your presence no longer primarily rests in a building. We're the buildings. But, but God, we're also building this for you. And we pray that just as buildings used to be built um, in a way that were to be holy and were to point to you, God, we pray that this would be the same and that um, you would be glorified in the process and that, you would, that many, many, many people would come to know you and love you in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening.